You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Welcome to Discourse 5 with Sajjad and Sheikh Ibrahim Skatema. We're discussing Millennium Discourses and we have a question. You talk about having the attention on you or on the other. What's the difference in a spiritual sense? You know, if we, if we strip away all of the incidentals of, how, of who we are, um, and we're quite deliberate about stripping away the incidentals, mm. then, um, then just about everything goes onto the pyre. You know, who am I or what am I? Well, I mean, you know, am I my, my identity? And clearly not, because I could suffer amnesia and not know who I am, but still there'll be a conscious being looking through these eyes. Um, am I, am I my, uh, my age? Am I my gender? And uh, if, if all of those things seem to be clothing to this thing that's looking through my eyes you know um, what is this thing that's looking through my eyes and in a sense that thing that's looking through my eyes really is the essence of who I am if I drill down there'll be a watcher a perceiver that's looking out on the world and it is almost as if all the other incidentals of my life, my biography, my identity, even my body, serve as a scaffolding that's been constructed over a very long period of time, millennia, to house this light of my attention, of that one that looks. And one is, is, uh, is kind of, is, sort of tempted to ask, well, why has Allah, through the medium of everything that isn't me, the whole of the rest of existence, spent this enormous effort over eons to produce the scaffold that could house the light of my consciousness? Well, that becomes apparent when I look at what, my, what happens to my consciousness, when I look out, when that thing that is looking looks out at the universe. I'm stupefied by it. I'm in awe. In other words, this thing that is looking, the looker, has been made to be in awe. The whole essence of the human experience is awe. A fundamental element to this sense of awe is that the other is seen to be significant. I mean, if you you, there's almost like a forgetting of the self. There's an abnegating of the self in the experience of all. My, my awe is an expression uh, of, the, of uh, uh, astonishment at the largeness of other than me, which basically means I am small. For me to recognize that it is vast, I, have, I, have to, I can only recognize that it is vast from a place which is small. In other words, I have been designed to apprehend significance in the other. A way to understand how this works is to just look at the sort of the, almost the, the fundamental physiology of, of, of attention. 
you know, you know somebody's giving you attention when they're looking at you. So the organs that demonstrate attention are your eyes. Hmm. And where are your eyes designed to look? Well, actually, they're not designed to look at you. They're designed to look at anything other than you. And if you were trying to look at yourself, it'll be a little bit like a zombie movie, like your eyes running back into the back of your skull. You become an extremely creepy person, which suggests that attention, you, the looker, have not been made for yourself. You've not been made to be fascinated with yourself. You've not been made to be enamored with yourself. You've not been made to be amazed with yourself. You've been made to be enamored with, fascinated with, enchanted with anything other than yourself. The moment you become fascinated with yourself, you become a supremely ugly being. This is one of the reasons why narcissism in human beings is such an exceptionally uh, objectionable quality. Anybody who finds themselves particularly interesting is truly ugly. Sheikh Muhammad al-Habib actually says that in one of his um, slides, he says, don't be fascinated by what's in the self. You will, in it, you will find only ugliness. So the, the, this, this, uh, the, 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 the proper functioning of the self, the one that looks, of, of this thing that can give attention is to look out, is to be apprehending of other than self, is to be fascinated with and amazed with other than self. This thing of narcissism is actually a deeply destructive, uh, self-destructive quality, which is why the Greeks gave us the, the myth of Narcissus. And I'm sure you're aware of what happened to him. You know, he was a, a very handsome young man, somewhat like me. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, he was walking through a forest one day and um, he caught sight of his, his like really attractive visage in a pool. And he stopped and he looked into this amazingly beautiful image in the pool. And he looked and he looked and he looked and he fell into the pool and drowned. That's what happens to you when you find yourself interesting. That's, that's, that's what happens to you when you're, a, when you're a narcissistic being. In order to grant significance to the self, you have to negate the significance of the other. You have to trivialize the other. This is also why arrogance is such a deep fault on our path and why any claim to significance is a deep fault on our path. And what, what makes us really peculiar as human beings is we can make our claim to insignificance the root of our significance, which is, you know, why the early people of Tassawuf, they were enjoined um, to stop wearing wool. I mean, as you know, the word Tassawuf uh, means, goes from the word suf, it's from wool. So as an expression of humility, the early Sufis used to wear wool. And then eventually it stopped being an expression of humility. It started to become an expression of significance. Look at how special I am. I wear wool. So it's a, it's a deeply problematic quality that we have, this desire to be the one who, see, who is seen, to be the desire to be the one who is significant. It is the first and most powerful spiritual disease. It was actually Iblis's fault. It was that fault that was perpetuated in all other faults. What is the first act of rebellion was the claim of Iblis to be significant. I will not bow to Adam because I'm made from fire and he's made from clay. It was a claim to significance 
and a denigration of other, which is the first, uh, that arrogance was the first sin. All other sins are grandchildren of that first sin. Mm. Why would you say silence per eminent? Silence per eminent over speech. Mention that. Silence is preeminent over speech because the one who talks is the one who seeks to be seen. I mean, when I'm speaking, I mean, I may just as well be making gibberish noises. Um, if there wasn't somebody who was listening to what I was saying. So any act of speech is a claiming of the attention of the other. So for me, for my, my speech to make sense, you have to be listening to me. Um, and so the speaking is a claim to attention. But what we've just assessed actually is that of the two modalities, the desire to be seen the desire to, to get the attention or the capacity to give attention, the, 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 when you're acting on the basis of the desire to get attention, you're fundamentally weak. When you're acting on the basis of giving attention, you're fundamentally powerful. Now, this is true for a number of reasons. First of all, because it relates to this issue of intent in principle. Um, when... If I want something from somebody else, that person's ability to give me what I want uh, makes me manipulable. So if I want your beautiful, you've got actually a very nice uh, waistcoat. Mercifully, we're not in the same room, otherwise I might want to get it off you. Um, so, so if I wanted your waistcoat, your ability to withhold the waistcoat gives you power over me. So because, you know, so if you want something from somebody else, the other has the power and the self is weak. Now. This is very problematic with regard to significance because when, when I, you, you, you see, I'm, I'm almost doubly manipulable if I want you to find me significant. Clearly, if I want your waistcoat at some point, maybe, I don't know, I overpower you or you just out of the generosity of your kind soul, you give me the, the so now I've got control over the waistcoat, you see, now I've got it. You can't manipulate me anymore because I now have the waistcoat. Hmm. So if you, I want things from, from the other, the, there's a limit to the degree to which I can be manipulated. But if I want you to find me significant, you know, my significance to you never physically leaves you. So I want something I can never have control over like I can have control over the waistcoat. My desire for significance makes me deeply vulnerable, makes me deeply manipulable. It makes me very, very weak. I'm far weaker when I want significance from you than when I want the waistcoat from you. Because when I want significance from you, I want something that I can never actually get control over. I can at some point get control over the waistcoat. I cannot get control over the significance that you give me. So I'm much more manipulable on the basis of my desire to, be, to want to be seen. And when I'm speaking, I'm wishing to be seen. I mean, you know how disabling this is, and you must have had this experience, particularly if you're ever in a teaching context. All that the people that you're trying to teach have to do is act like they're bored with you. And they completely deflate you. So the one who listens clearly has power over the one who speaks. Because the one who listens is actually 
is 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 the whole drama is based the whole success of the drama is based on their the the magnanimity that they demonstrate to listen the one who speaks is at the mercy of the one who's listening you know the one who speaks is being is 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 completely manipulable by the one who's listening the one, you know so so that's the first reason why we are we are kind of we are you know Speech has preeminence. I beg one. Silence has preeminence over speech. You know. Also, the the um, <clears throat> the it's it's easier to exercise. Um, what we would call receptive attention when I'm listening. As no, you know, so we have these two modalities of attention, and I think we spoke about this before, the difference between receptive and predatory attention. Predatory attention is goal-directed. It's about what you want to get from life. Receptive attention is concerned with what's coming towards you. The difference between the two can be expressed in the two sentences. He's looking at me or he's listening to me. Now, clearly, I mean, if you're sitting somewhere and my comment to you is that that guy's looking at me, your assumption would be I'm feeling a bit threatened by what's going on here. Um, but if I said that guy's listening to me, your assumption would be I'm actually quite pleased with what's going on here. And it's interesting because they're just two different modalities of attention. But when the guy's looking at me, it's threatening. It's like he's trying to come into me. It's like a predator, you know, like a lion that's trying to get. Whereas if he's listening to me, he's allowing me into him. Now, the one who is silent is the one who listens, is the one who is exercising receptive attention. The one who is speaking is the one who's trying to appear, the one who's trying to step out and kind of achieve something in the world. In order to speak, it's very difficult. It's much more difficult to exercise receptive attention when you're speaking because you're wanting to appear when you speak. You actually exercise far more uh, uh, you know, predatory attention. I mean, if I ask you, what are you trying to do? I'm, saying, I'm trying to achieve an outcome. I'm trying to get a message across. I'm trying to achieve a goal. It's when you articulate speech your articulation of speech is, is basically predatory in character. And one of the problems with predatory uh, attention is that when you're trying to achieve things in the world, you consume yourself, you get exhausted. So one of the core things that distinguish predatory from receptive attention, receptive attention is nourishing because you allow the world to come to you. Predatory attention is exhausting because you have to go to the, you have to do the work. You know, so you have to step out, appear, you get exhausted by your life. So that's one another reason why listening has preeminence over speaking. When you listen, you're allowing the thing to come to you. When you're speaking, you have to go out and fetch the thing. You have to go and do the work and you consume yourself in the process. You literally consume yourself in the process. So from every point of view, Judgment goes to the one who is the silent one. Because the one who is the silent one holds the judgment. I mean, if it's like, this relates to what we said before. I mean, why does attention exist? Attention exists to denote that which is significant. And, and it seems as if the one who's giving the attention is the weak one, is the, you know, I'm the small one because the significance is over there, is, is, is other than me. 
but um, you know, why have I been made so that I can recognize that the significant that which is significant? So I might not be the king, but I'm the one who recognizes the king. I'm not the king. I'm the king maker. So who's got the real authority, the king or the king maker? Surely the real authority goes to the king maker. So it is the one who is silent who makes the king. The one who is the silent who grants the significance. The one who, who speaks seeks the significance. You know. So the, the one who wishes to, to who speaks wishes to be king, but the one who is silent grants the status to the one who is king. The kingmaker is more powerful than the king. So from every point of view, learn to shut up. It's one of the core things we try and achieve on our path. Don't make what isn't your concern your concern and shut up. Listen. Listen five times before you have anything to say. I don't know if I should just stop talking and just listen to you. <laughs> you tell an interesting story about the Shah of Iran and Imam Khomeini. Can you tell mm. us what what did you learn from that and how that relates to power in general? So this is consistent with what we were sort of just discussing a minute ago. Um, this, um, you know, the judgment goes to the silent one, that the authority sits with the one who, who, who disavows significance because that person becomes the kingmaker. It is as if, um, so, so I want to tell you a story that kind of makes sense out of the Shah story. And um, it, uh, it, 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 when we first moved onto the property that I live on now, this is many years ago, this is in the early 80s, 84. Um, there was a Franklin, and Franklin is, a, is basically a, a it's a bird of, <clears throat> it's, it's, a, it's um, you know, it's, it's a, what do you call it, a game bird. So it get, they get hunted, you know. So uh, the, about 100 meters from the back window of our house, this Franklin stood up. I don't know what went into this bird's head, but it, it flew onto a tree stump. And it made the most unbelievable noise. Like it was announcing to the world, look at me, see me see me and i said to my wife this thing is trying to give it to give itself to us for its dinner for our dinner rather and because it was just you know anybody who says that as like they're, they're wearing a target on their back you know look at me see me i mean it's just so and now this thing carried on carried on and eventually I, uh, I mean, I couldn't restrain the temptation. I went and got my, my rifle and I, I, I took a pot shot at this Franklin and I missed. And it still continued with this bizarre behavior. So I took a second shot and this time I had the shot it and we had it for our supper. And so the lesson in this is a bit of an odd uh, story, but the lesson in this is that the one who seeks to be seen becomes supper. You know, I mean, the, if you wish to stand out, you make yourself the grand one, you are supremely vulnerable and you get taken out, you become supper. So this wasn't something I experienced myself. This is actually something, a story that I'd heard from uh, Sheikh Abdul Qadr in the, in the 80s. Um, he said that um, he, uh, he was following the news 
of Iran. And there was, in one week, there was a news bulletin of the Shah who had just been crowned Shah and Shah. So he'd been crowned King of Kings with his glittering throne and the most unbelievable pulp, pump, pomp and ceremony. You know, really, I mean, the exact opposite of what we're calling for here, the most almost shocking expression of arrogance and self-importance. And shortly after that, Sheikh Abdul Qadr saw a newspaper article of Imam Khomeini. And um, in the article, the, the Imam, there, there was a photograph of the Imam in Sajda. So you had these two, two images, Shah and Shah, gilded throne, man in Sajda. He said he needed no more information. I mean, he knew what was going to happen. And literally within a very short space of time, the Shah was in exile and Khomeini ran the country. You know, and, and this is not an ideological statement. Right? This, is, this is how the universe works. The universe puts a target on the back on the one who claims significance. Because that person is, is basically messing with what we've been designed to do as human beings. The universe elevates the one who disclaims significance. The whole world conspires to take the genuinely humble person and put them, put them in positions of authority. The whole world conspires to destroy the person who considers themselves to be more significant than others. You're not just picking a fight with a person that you're dominating when you claim to be significant. You, it's that, that you're picking a fight with the whole of existence. There's nothing that life that Allah's face to you finds more objectionable than arrogance. It will destroy you. Life will destroy you. You will be broken. It's just a question of time. So, well, thank you for that. In our modern day life, we're told we're worth it. Be independent. You seem to be saying something radically different. We clearly, uh, when we educate our children, we seek to create the conditions where they can become significant people in the world. Hmm. We make them results focused and, and um, uh, kind of goal orientated, go getters. Hmm. And then we send these young souls into the world and then they, they become corporate executives uh, and they, they act on the program. They become goal getters. They become results orientated, you know. Um, and, and then we see that, 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 uh, that in the process, we produce deeply objectionable human beings who uh, um, are, are immensely arrogant and actually do arrogate to themselves whatever success of the organizations that they, they lead. They think that they do it. They use people as resources. They have no conscience about what gets consumed in the pursuit of their own aggrandizement. And, and they're quite capable of fundamentally corrupt things to produce outcomes that they want. 
And then we complain that when we look at people in authority that there, there is such a, uh, a weakness in them uh, that, uh, that, you know, we, we get cynical. I mean, we, we you know, uh, there's, you know, absolute, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. But it's because we are celebrating the wrong qualities in people. We're not cultivating people who are demure. We're not cultivating people who are unassuming. We're not cultivating people who have the ability to grant significance to others. We actually celebrate people who behave like hooligans. So you're absolutely correct. I mean, I, this, the, the sort of self that we're trying to call on is not the self which our current world produces. To almost the opposite, well, it is the opposite. Thank you very much for that, Sheikh Listeners, you are listening to Millennium Discourses. We will be back tomorrow with another topic. We would like to thank Etzko Skatema. Till tomorrow, Allah Hafiz from us all.